You're going 45 miles above the speed limit. You're exhausted so far above California emission standards. You're making pigeons fall from midair. I see four stolen road signs next to your seat there. Your tricked out tires have left gaping potholes in your wake. You're operating a cannon under that hood for crying out loud. You don't even have seatbelts in this monstrosity. I'm pretty sure you left a freaking grappling hook behind you a couple miles back. And one of your rear lights is out. Just what have you got to say for yourself, son? There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James, kind of, sort of, hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And I can't believe it's taken two hyper-nostalgic people for Hanna-Barbera's output to reach an actual cartoon in this series. So six episodes, and we're finally here. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> yes. This week, it is... Probably the first cartoon people think of when it comes to a major series outside of Hanna-Barbera's, a major comedy series anyway, outside of their big four, which would be, you know, Scooby-Doo, Yogi Bear, the Flintstones, and the Jetsons. You know, those those are their bread and butter franchises. But right after that, and once you also look past the action cartoons, you get the wacky races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Cue the theme song. Daredevil group of daddy drivers to ever whirl their wheels in the wacky races, competing for the title of the world's wackiest racer. The cars are approaching the starting line. First is the Turbo Terrific, driven by Peter Perfect. Next, Rufus, Roughcut, and Sawtooth in the buzz wagon. Maneuvering for position is the Army Surplus Special. Right behind is the Ant Hill Mob in their bulletproof bomb. And there's ingenious inventor, Pat Pending in his converter car. Oh, and here's the lovely Penelope Pitstop, the glamour gal of the gas pedal. Next, we have the Bowlermobile with the Slide Brothers, Rock and Gravel. Lurching along is the creepy coop with a gruesome twosome. And right on their tail is the Red Max. And there's the Arkansas Chugabug with Luke and Blubber Bear. Sneaking along last is that mean machine with those double-dealing do-batters, Dick Dastardly and his sidekick, Buckley. And even now, they're up to some dirty trick, and they're off to a standing start. And why not? They've been chained to a post by Shifty Dick Dastardly, who shifts into the wrong gear. And away they go on the way out wacky races. Dang! But Nabbit, that's a lot of characters for one half-hour cartoon. It's also probably why, unfortunately, a lot of them didn't get much character development outside of their, well, basic gags for their car. Unfortunately not, but uh, we're getting slightly ahead of ourselves, which is more or less typical for me. (laughs) Arguably, the inspiration for this show was the movie The Great Race. Yeah, I don't know much about that movie, but I do know that if you see the main villain of that movie, you kind of just look and go, yeah. (laughs) 
But drawing on that inspiration, Hanna-Barbera created this cartoon at the behest of Fred Silverman, who wanted comedy cartoons for CBS that could spin off characters into their own solo series after the fact. You know, sort of... What's the word I'm looking for? An an incubator for, for new ideas to make successful franchises from. It also, uh, in very early development, was actually being planned to be an actual game show. That's absolutely correct. Uh, Heater Quigley, the creators of Hollywood Squares, amongst other game shows, were involved in the series. And one of the plans was to, indeed, a game show where the kids would pick which race car would win. Mercifully, this idea was scrapped in favor of the two shorts format the show aired on. Yeah, unfortunately, this had the unfortunate effect of uh, the company you mentioned um, <laughs> that I can't recall right now. Uh, Peter Quigley. Actually, thank you. Actually having co-ownership of Wacky Races, which uh, kind of shot Hanna-Barbera in the foot later. Yeah, and we will discuss that when we discuss the show's legacy towards the end of this podcast. But just keep that in the back of your mind. Now, of course... William Hanna and Joseph Barbera were on board as the, as the producers, but eight, some other big names in animation were working on this show. And if some of these gags seem familiar, you can put the blame on one Mike Maltese. A uh, big-time uh, Looney Tunes writer. That's right, he was Chuck Jones' most frequent co-conspirator, especially on the Roadrunner cartoons. And you can definitely see a lot of Wiley Coyote in the bad luck of the men of the mean machine, Dick Dastardly and Muttley. In fact, that kind of gets to one of the, my favorite things about this show is like, despite all these characters, the main characters are Dick Dastardly and Muttley. The villains of the show are actually really the main characters of the show when you get down to it. Naturally, that. They're the ones the majority of the gags center around. And, and as active, quote-unquote, cheaters against the other races, it, it kind of makes them the, the straw that stirs the drink. It also gives them the most character development or just personality of, well, pretty much all the racers. Quite accurate. Now, Dick Dastardly is voiced by Paul Winchell, who at the time was a ven- noted ventriloquist and voice actor, who had just wrapped up production on some Winnie the Pooh shorts for Disney as the voice of Tigger. And Muttley, of course, is by my all-time favorite voice actor, Don Messick, best known for his roles as Scooby-Doo, among various other characters, including Dr. Quest from Johnny Quest, Hampton Pig and Tiny Toons, and Ratchet in Transformers. And let's, of course, not forget Boo-Boo Bear. Of course. You know, Don's all over this cartoon, not just portraying Muttley, but uh, Gravel of the Slag Brothers, Professor Pat Pending, Bella Gruesome, and uh, Dingaling, alternately named Ringading of the Ant Hill Mob, and Sawtooth, the, the beaver, sidekick to Rufus Roughcut. Yep. That's, he is, yeah, he is. A lot. Him and Dawes Butler do a lot of voices in this, but then again, Don Messick and Dawes Butler were like the Hanna-Barbera go-to guys for like a majority of their cartoons. Absolutely. Dawes in this cartoon appears as Rufus Roughcut, Peter Perfect, as Sergeant Blast, the Red Max, and Rock Slag. Also Tiny Gruesome. 
Oh yes, Tiny Gruesome. Yes, thank you. Oh, we didn't mention the other uh, voices that Paul Winchell, of, who plays Dick Dashley, also did. He also was Private Meekly and Clyde of the Ant Hill Mob. That is absolutely correct. In fact, Clyde and uh, Dingaling slash Ringading are the only two members of the Ant Hill Mob that even get any voice characterization at all through the through the seventeen episode run of the show. Yeah, the rest of them get more personality in a spinoff that we'll probably talk about later. The other voices are provided by John Stevenson, who's both Lazy Luke and Blubber Bear of the Arkansas Chugabug. Our narration and announcement is done by David Wilcox. And, of course, Janet Waldo as Penelope Pitstop. Janet Waldo was oftentimes Hanna-Barbera's go-to person for, like, female voices. Ever since, like, I think her first voice that she did for them was uh, Judy Jetson in uh, The Jetsons. Probably correct, and and she'd be all over the place, too, when needed. But speaking of Penelope, she originally wasn't even going to be a part of the show. She was a late addition to the cast when Joe Barbera noticed that they just had a massive sausage party going on. <laughs> See, was it Joe? I can't remember. Was it Joe Barbera's I did the avid girl, or was it like uh, one of the advertisement agents said that they think a female should be into it? It could have been part of the advertisers, but you know, Joe was was probably the one who helped instigate the design. Uh, Iwao Takamoto and Jerry Eisenberg were the ones who came up with her within about two hours of time. And Janet Waldo, if I remember right, was the one who decided to make her Southern. So, because I, I think original plans were just that she's just the girl, and then Janet Waldo was like, "Well, why don't we make her Southern? I mean, I can do a Southern accent," and then. Like, all right, let's go with that. And thus I fell head over heels with another voice. I do declare. (laughs) I I am nothing if not predictable. I I won't argue. Penelope is very adorable. And and this isn't even her her most adorable uh, design. When when she spins off into her own show, she'll get a, a nice little update. I don't know if I'd say I like that design better than this one, but they're they're both good. So, uh, the other one is less cartoony and more action cartoon design style. So fair. Um, but like I said, my favorite characters in this is Dick Dastardly and Muttley because gosh, I love those two. They are my favorite head of Barbaric characters because they are my favorite type of villain, which is just. There, there, there's not a huge, terrible backstory or anything with them. They're just villains because they like being villains. They like being jerks. <laughs> well, I'd say there's nothing wrong with that, but I think anybody who's been the victim of that sort of jerk would disagree. <laughs> but I don't know if I'd want to hang out with Dick Dastardly in real life, but I definitely like watching him him cause trouble so yeah you, you love to hate the guy i'd give muttley pets though because muttley's adorable he oh did. yes yes although he'd probably be snickering every time we lose a life at a frustrating part of a Mega Man game <laughs> i wish i could do that laugh i wish i could too i i can do other sounds like like i did earlier like i can do his oh boy oh boy oh boy and like yeah 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 uh, I, I can do that, or right, so I can wreck rationally, but I, I can't do the laugh, and it's, there's no no fun in doing a Muttley imitation if you can't do that laugh. Yeah, whenever I try it, it sounds more like Ernie from Sesame Street. It's the wheeze. I can't get the wheeze in. It's like I can... It's, every time I try, it's like... 
it's all I can do, but it's, I, I can't get the, the wheeze. And you know, yeah, like you said, it sounds more like Ernie. So it's, it's, it's that wheeze. The wheeze is what you got to capture. Uh, which according to Don Messick, he created that, I, I think his quote, he told a fr- friend of mine, Carrie, because uh, Carrie actually got to meet Don Messick, the lucky bastard. Oh, uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> he he said that uh, he asked uh, Don to do the uh, Muttley laugh, and, and Don Messick did it, but also said that, uh, made the comment that he was able to do the laugh a lot better back when he smoked. So <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that, that makes some sense. So, shall we get into our first race? Sure thing. All right, let's start with uh, the Zippy Mississippi. Now, we're not actually going to be covering races in quote-unquote production order since, one, Hanna-Barbera split these things up in, in segments for the DVD I purchased rather than their original broadcast order. I mean, they're in broadcast order, but each up, each race is sandwiched by the intro and the credits rather than them running two at a time between intro and credits. And the other reason is we just wanted to pick out ones that highlight notable or unusual things in each episode rather than uh, getting bogged down into into stuff that would be a little less interesting to discuss. Not that a, a bad episode of Wacky Races is a, is a bad time. Even the lower-than-average ones are still uproariously funny. Lots of good gag work. Um, but uh, let's see, uh, this one has a good Penelope moment in it, though. So, oh yes. But at the beginning, we get a very good example of what we were talking about as far as drawing from the old Roadrunner cartoons, where Dick Dastardly's opening trick is a mat placed over a gigantic hole in the road, expecting the racers to fall in when they think they're just driving over solid ground. And the racers do technically drive as if they were on solid ground. The mat has no effect on them. But when Dick Dasherly goes to test it out and jump on it multiple times with drat, double drat, triple drat. Upon the Curse triple the drat. luck! <laughs> and when he gives up, he's like, it doesn't work. Then he falls through. Yeah. Much to Muttley's enjoyment. Right. <laughs> Yeah, one of the principal rules of this sort of villain is they are always their own worst enemy. Ooh, ooh, I did there is something interesting about Paul Winchell that I probably should mention. Oh yes. His, his uh daughter is a voice actress. Oh really? Yeah, April Winchell, uh she's a voice actress. She was Peg in uh Goof Troop. She's uh Sylvia in uh, Wonder Over Yonder. Uh, she's the voice of Clarabelle Cow for various Mickey cartoons. Oh, that's actually pretty prolific. That's a yeah. good range. So, yeah, she has followed in her father's footsteps. And now all I can think of is young Frankenstein. <laughs> Following in her grandfather's footsteps. Right. That that gag is going to go nowhere fast. So <laughs> just well, let's just continue on with the race. So the anthill mob shifts into getaway gear to get past the army surplus special. And I, when I was uh, typing notes for other episodes, I learned why you do not abbreviate army surplus special in official merchandise for this show. A S S. Don't. Yeah. I if that was intentional. 
But in the process, Clyde's hat blows off and lands in Private Meekly's face, causing the the uh, racing tank to bump into the bulletproof bomb. Actually, one pause. Before we get into the... I mean, I just had a thought. Shouldn't we, like, actually talk about all the individual, like, characters and their, like... And their actual cars? Because otherwise we're going to be mentioning who and who... What's happening to who without actually letting anyone know who who is. All right. Absolutely fair. I've... It wouldn't be a James Irish podcast if it wasn't me getting ahead of myself, like I said earlier. <laughs> it was just some I, I didn't think about it until now, so sorry about that. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, we talked about Dick Dasterly, who's in the Mean Machine, which that's I, car I, number double zero, which rather I, fittingly. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I think it's by far the best looking car, in my opinion. Arguably, and it's also the most advanced car, when you stop and think about it, because that massive jet engine on the back of that big old purple hot rod, that thing can book it, because we're frequently seeing him so far ahead that he can lay his traps. It it begs the question, why doesn't he just focus on getting to the end of the race when his car is easily the fastest i'm a villain i must cheat it's in my nature <laughs> and uh, let's see that in some episodes also claim that he uses an illegal shortcut but uh that that would make some sense then so going in numerical order number one is the boldmobile piloted by the slag brothers rock and gravel and it is literally what it says on the tin it is a car made out of one big hunk of rock and uh if those and if the designs for them look familiar they Hanna barbera kind of reuses that design and add some ad ball uh, add some <laughs> ad balls add some eyeballs to it and call call them captain caveman that's right and we'd also see that design in the live action variety show the Hanna barbera happy hour as one of the in-house band the vitamin the bass player i believe Let's see uh with uh, Rock Slag being voiced by Dawes Butler and Gravel Slag being voiced by Don Messick, so. Yep, and that duo would also be voicing the two in our next car, the Creepy Coop. Uh, Don Messick is Bella Gruesome, and Dawes Butler is Tiny Gruesome, Bella being a petite vampire, and Tiny a giant uh, Frankenstein's monster pastiche. And the Creepy Coop is... It looks like something you'd expect to see Herman Munster driving. Good. Got that uh, American Gothic little tower coming out of out of the back, where most of their gimmicks emerge from, including a fire-breathing dragon, who can also fly and lift the entire car. Also, uh, as as, a, as expected, Tiny Gruesome tends to talk in a very uh, Boris Karloff-esque voice. Because, you know, of course he does. <laughs> right. And number three is the Converticar, piloted by Professor Pat Pending, voiced again, again voiced by Don Masick. Which, I gotta give credit, that's one of the best pun names Hammer yes. Bears ever came up with. Absolutely, of course, Pat Pending being a pun on patent pending, which is appropriate for the professor. His car is constantly changing into different sight gags and and creative ideas, we, we see a bunch of them in the four episodes we, we go through here. 
Yeah, yeah. The convert a car as yep. it literally converts to well anything. Quite he's, creatively, I might say. Yeah, he's kind of portrayed as the gallant to dastardly's goofus in this series. He's usually the one trying to un- undo sticky situations the racers get into. But you definitely see a lot of that from the other racers, too. Just It, it seems like he comes up with the most creative means. See, number four is Red Max in the Crimson Hay Baler. Red Max is another Dawes Butler character. Imagine the Red Baron as a goofy 1920s serial type. Complete with German accent. <laughs> but but he's he's utterly harmless. See, with lots of gags having to do with like usually getting his plane cars shot down or some or the tail getting knocked off of it or some other gimmick. Coming in at number five is the Compact Pussycat, with Janet Waldo's character Penelope Pitstop at the wheel, the glamour gal of the gas pedal, as the narrator describes her. She's uh, the very stereotypical ideal of feminine, but with with a southern accent just to make her different from, well, your typical generic female character. I I, lo- I love her because she's so nice, and but so, like, just kind of innocent and naive, and yet that stuff will... Her naivety works to her advantage in multiple situations. There's a scene where she, like, her car stopped working and she just kept pulling things out until it started working again. And it worked, but there's, like, this giant pile of parts left over. (laughs) Admittedly, that defies a lot of logic, but let's be honest. Logic is not something this cartoon is even concerned with. She's also excessively polite because, you know, good old Southern hospitality. Right. And coming in numbers in car number six is the Army Surplus Special with Sergeant Blast, Dawes Butler, and Private Meekly, Paul Winchell. Sergeant Blast is your stereotypical drill sergeant type. Loud, pot-bellied, very boisterous. And Meekly is, well, meek. I, I can't help but wonder if those two were somehow inspired by Beetle Bailey and Sergeant Snorkel from, like, uh, well, Beetle Bailey, because right. they kind of fit those stereotypes. I mean, Sergeant Blast even kind of looks a bit like Sergeant Snorkel. Yeah, and, and there's a little bit of sad sack in Private Meekly's design, I think. But uh, yeah, uh, also uh, lots of gags with their uh, tank getting separated uh, with the uh, the tur- torrent, uh, turret part getting separated from the rest of the tank mobile. Car number seven is the Bulletproof Bomb, piloted by the Ant Hill Mob. Picture the Seven Dwarves as Prohibition-era gangsters. Yep, led by Clyde, because, well, of course you're going to name the leader of a mob Clyde. <laughs> right, that that's Paul Winchell popping up again. And like we stated earlier, the, the majority of the Ant Hill Mob are silent, save for Ding-a-Ling slash Ring-a-Ding, voiced by Don Messick. And... He might be the single dumbest character in the entire series, which is saying something. Yeah. <laughs> um, though, uh, you, you can kind of tell Clyde's Paul Winchell because it's, uh, you can sometimes hear a little bit of Tigger in his voice. Like, it's it's like gangster Tigger. <laughs> yeah. And, and number eight is the one char- character giving Dingaling a run for his money in the stupidity department. Lazy Luke. And Blubber Bear. Yep, 
again, both voiced by John Stevenson. They're piloting the Arkansas Chugabug, which is literally a flat bed of wood propelled by an old wood stove. Lazy Luke is so lazy that he's controlling, he's half asleep most of the time, if not completely asleep, and usually steering the wheel with his bare feet. And we don't mean Blubber Bear's feet. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, I think my favorite thing about Lazy Luke is a lot of the gags they do with him are like very simple stuff that shouldn't work, but they, they weirdly do. Like he needs a burst of speed, so he blows up a balloon and lets out the air, and it just somehow pushes the car ahead. Naturally. Now, number nine is the Turbo Terrific, with piloted by Peter Perfect, voiced by Dawes Butler. And the running gag here is Peter Perfect is a parody of of your athletic ace in that he's upstanding to a fault. He's supremely confident and has little reason to be because of all the cars in the race, his is the most failure prone. Yeah. It falls apart at literally anything. (laughs) And we do mean anything. I I think he's actually sneezed once and it's fallen apart, but don't quote me on that. (laughs) It wouldn't surprise me. But he is also very polite and very gentlemanly and a really good sport. Maybe a little vain at times, but for the most part, good guy. Also has a very big crush on Penelope and probably the same could be said in return. And he's got such a large chin. Jay Leno could have played him in the live action version. Uh, If you think his chin looks large there, God forbid you see the reboot. (laughs) True. Finally, at number 10... My Dark Horse candidate for favorite character, Rufus Roughcut and his sidekick Sawtooth in the Buzzwagon. Who, uh, in the opening, if you if you pay attention to the frames, this bothers me every time I watch the intro. Uh, when they're introduced, there's a brief set, there's like a brief, like, two, two three seconds where, like, uh, Sawtooth's entire body disappears except for his head. And I see it Every time in the intro, it sucks being an artist sometimes. That's what was bugging me. <laughs> yeah, his full body just, bam, gone. <laughs> yeah. Now, now the Buzzwagon, we should mention, is a car made up entirely of logs with the uh, actual uh, saw blades for wheels. And most of the gags for them involve using those saw blades to interesting effect and various things Sawtooth would rapid-fire carve out with his teeth. Yeah, he seems like a very rough guy, but they've proven in a few episodes that he also has a kind of nice side as he's helped Penelope Pitstop get out of a a mud puddle once. So, Yeah, he's a very G-rated, friendly version of the boisterous bruiser type. It's nice to contradict uh, stereotypes sometimes. Oh, yeah. So that's who we're working with on this show. All right. Anyways, back to the episode. Clyde loses his hat that lands on the uh, Army Surplus Special. And in Soviet Russia, ass rear ends you. <laughs> and of course, they can't avoid uh, Clyde saying the pun of inst- of tanks instead of thanks. Naturally. Now, this... This activity scrunches up the, the bulletproof bomb in accordion style. Not the last time we'll see a gag like that. 
And to straighten things out, the ant- the rest of the anthill mob holds onto the rear bumper while Clive drives forward, and they just wind up pulling the 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 back end right off the car. And the, the anthill mob has to hustle to catch up. And they run pretty fast for small guys. Naturally, they they run pretty fast for you for for a track athlete. <laughs> They run fast enough that they increase the speed of their car when they use their feet. So that's Yeah, just sticking them right th- through the bottom. Flintstone style. Right. So meanwhile, elsewhere in the race, Professor Pat Pending converts his car into a forklift, l- lifting and launching the Bouldermobile out of his way, causing Gravel Slag to retaliate by bending his club into a boomerang. Unfortunately, his aim is a bit off as he throws it at Pat Pending and misses him completely, instead hitting Peter Perfect and shattering his car to pieces. And here's a point where I'm sure you got bugged again, Pembroke, because when the Boomerang Club comes back around to uh, the Slag Brothers, you see Gravel suddenly has another club. Yep. Uh, You know, they could have multiples in that car. They don't know that. It's true. Could have pulled one out of his, like, hair among hair. It works for Captain Caveman. So while the the races are causing all this chaos for each other, Dick Dastardly sneaks by going along the Mississippi River via hydrofoil drive. But wouldn't you know it, he forgot to waterproof the mean machine. Rats. Hydrofoiled again. (laughs) And he has to resort to Muttley towing it by dog paddling. Yeah, unfortunately, stuff like that happens a lot to poor Muttley. Yeah. Dragon, Rick Rosterly. Meanwhile, the Red Max is, is trying to fly over the buzz wagon, but Rufus grabs his one of his rear tires, read a saw blade, and cuts down the Crimson Hay Baler's propeller. Cuts him down with his rear tire, as the exact line was, I think. Yeah. While Sawtooth is uh, is holding on to the the spoke that the tire w- once occupied. That's a fast beaver. <laughs> There's a dirty joke in there somewhere, but let's not look for it. <laughs> I, 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 I had it pop in my head, but I'm not saying it. Yeah. <laughs> So do we want to keep going blow for blow, maneuver for maneuver on these races? I think we should just get to, like, the main cuts. Because, I mean, the next, next thing is Dick Dastardly comes up with the plan to detour some of the uh, wacky racers onto an actual paddle boat. Yeah, and it works. It, it, it gets the entire mob of racers onto it. But this winds up putting the entire pack ahead of him when again we see the anthill mob's ridiculous footwork maneuvering the uh, the big old back engine with all the paddles into high gear and of course it's nice that it is like the old school like mississippi style like you know steam right old boat because of course it is yeah, something you'd expect to see right across from Tom Sawyer Island at Disney World. Beat by the fancy footwork of the Ant Hill mob. Yes. But of course, Penelope has to say that we've all been shanghai <laughs> And they're nowhere near China. <laughs> 
The South has kind of picked up that word for reasons I do not understand, but it gets used a lot down here. Fair. So, Dastardly moves on to Plan C, blocking the road with a giant boulder. But he's got company. It's... Because uh, seemingly they're on a plantation, because of course it's the South. Yep. <laughs> Owned by one Colonel Cornpone. Now, what is a cornpone? I... I actually do not know. I've heard that term multiple times. I know I've looked it up before, but let's see. Corn pone. Google, tell me. Noun. Corn pone. Thanks a lot. Uh, rustic unsophisticated is what corn pone means. It's a southern term for that. Which what What is the difference between cornbread and corn pone? Oh, wait, corn pone is a thing. Corn pone consists of cornmeal, water, salt, and oil, or bacon drippings. So it's oh. kind of like an alternative version of cornbread. But it's okay. also used as an adjective to call someone unsophisticated. Which is kind of ironic for this rich plantation-owning southern gentleman. Well, I guess maybe calling him Colonel Cornbread was too much. Or maybe it's just a gag on Colonel Sanders because, you know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you, you got a lot of a corn bread and and possibly corn bone at at your local KFC, <laughs> and but, certainly enough corny jokes. But Colonel Cornpone is not wise to such a Yankee as Dick Dastardly. But Dick Dastardly throws in a terrible Southern accent and claims to be from the Deep South as well, and that. The rest of the wacky racers are a bunch of Yankees coming to attack his plantation. And when Colonel Cornpone opens fire on the rest of the pack, the the Army Surplus Special and the Bulletproof Bomb both open fire back with much heavier firepower. In fact, I think this is the only time we see the anthill mob packing heat. And a lot of it. A lot of freaking, like, freaking, like, pistols. Like, Basic, like, uh, I'm not good with guns, but, you know, it's a very stylized, uh, very stylized kind of, like, uh... Revolvers. Revolvers, thank you. Yeah, I was wanting to say revolver, but I was having, my brain was like, no, no, that's all right. And it kept going to Luger, and I'm like, okay, that's not a Luger. (laughs) Megatron is a Luger. That is not a Luger. A Lu- for the record, Luger is the Walther P thirty seven is the only pistol I could draw well. <laughs> Fair. So when the action gets too hot for Dick Dastardly, he declares he's double parked and r- and races away. Though I, and- I I can't unfortunately since it's a podcast I can't show a picture, but I, I posted it in my Twitter. Everybody go to Pembroke W Corgi at Twitter. Um, I posted this one screenshot from that scene where. Muttley just has the greatest what the fuck face. <laughs> it is it is just a really good just like Muttley just looks like he's seen some shit kind of face while uh Colonel Colonel Cornpone is shooting back at everyone. But well, yeah, considering that, the company he keeps, he probably has. <laughs> but uh yeah, Dick Dastardly gets the hell out of Dodge for lack of better words, and uh Colonel Corn. Uh, Colonel Cornpone Colonel, Colonel shoots at Dastardly, causing a leak in his gas engine and surprisingly not just blowing up the whole goddamn car since he shot the freaking gas engine. Yeah, 
considering how easy it is to make things explode in this cartoon, which we'll get to shortly. Or just in any Hollywood action production in general. Yeah, for once, this a car being shot at in the gas tank does not do its impression of a Pinto. (laughs) But meanwhile, it takes uh, Penelope Pitstop's genuine Southern charms to win over the colonel. Do I? Which uh, props to her, because there's this gunfire coming from both sides, and she just walks right up to him like it's nothing. And just kisses him like it's nothing. Well, you know, Southern hospitality. It's like, do I sound like a little old Yankee to you? No, a man. <laughs> if, if that's Southern hospitality, I gotta get my butt down south one of these days. Well, it was Southern hospitality back in the 70s and 80s. Sadly, uh... Yeah, these days it would probably be a slap in my Yankee face. Yeah, I'm not getting into a lot of stuff going on in the South. This is not the place. So, right. (laughs) I'm not happy with my state lately, but that's enough with that. Um, But yes, (laughs) she convinces him to let everybody go and and just jump up and down for Penelope the win, which is just, go, honey child, go! Win that wacky race! <laughs> so meanwhile, the the mean machine has finally run out of gas. So and, close to the finish line, I might add. Yeah. And as Dastardly crosses the road with his gas can, Peter Perfect has to slam on his brakes to, to avoid hit, hitting Dastardly. And... Scrunch up his car. Right. Unfortunately, that causes Dashley to drop the gasoline container, which got ran over by multiple other racers and somehow not exploding into fire because gasoline is a very volatile uh, substance. Mm -hmm. It's the most mundane way Dick Dastardly winds up getting himself eliminated from a race. And but, in frustration, he does try to hit Muttley, who pulls out a still iron thingamajig to uh, block said punch. And meanwhile, Peter Perfect descrunches the Turbo Terrific to pull barely ahead of the anthill mob and win the race. Totally doesn't look phallic. That's all mm. I have to say. True. I mean, uh, his Peter Perfect's car... Looks very foul just in general, let's be honest. Yeah, I, mean, I get that they're trying to go for like a Formula One look, but uh, the size of those wheels, oh dear. And the length of his front end just looks like uh, he might be, uh, mm, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Compensating. Thank you. <laughs> well, depending on continuities you pick, the only one who finds out if that's true would be Penelope. But I think we'd get to that later. <laughs> right. But yes, Peter Wirt wins the race, kisses his car, and of course it falls completely apart. Yep, twice for this episode. If there was ever a Wacky Races drinking game, you would need to drink every time the Turbo Terrific wrecks or, or falls apart or otherwise is destroyed. I will give uh, P- I will give Peter Perfect credit. There is one I don't remember which episode it is, but there's one episode where he lost the race only be 
because he stopped not to hit a cat crossing the finish line. And that's, I don't know, that's pretty awesome. As a cat person, I can relate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a good episode. Uh, a lot of good scenes with Dick Dastardly. And speaking of good scenes with Dick Dastardly, that we see a lot of that in our next episode, Hot Race to Chillicote, to Chillicote, or however you pronounce that city in Ohio. Kind of surprised it didn't go with uh, Hot Tamale. <laughs> what is it? Uh, oh, God, now I forgot it. Um, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, never mind. It was like I Chili Tate uh, or... Hot tamale. Oh, I can't do it. I, I had a joke in my head and it just fell flat. <laughs> flat like the tire, the flat tire, the, the Slag Brothers get in this episode? <laughs> nice! So yeah. flat that it's literally a square. <laughs> yes. So we get a bunch of, a couple reoccurring gags in this one, namely Pat Pending using seven league boot power, which is literally the converted car being ran by two gigantic Gigantic leather boots. And uh, the Ar Army Surplus Special tries to uh, stop him by shooting a giant wad of bubblegum at him. Yeah, the, the first time around, at the beginning of the episode, Pen Pending literally blows this problem off. Namely by using the fan at the top of the converter car to, to blow the gum back into the tank. Now this is more direct racer to racer combat than usual. But uh yeah, I guess you could say that uh you could say that Pat Pending put him in a rather sticky situation. Mm, naturally. And speaking of sticky situations, Dastardly's opening gambit is to open a hole in a nearby bridge by pulling out a, a large circular metal plate. I want to call it a manhole cover, but it's not leading to any sewer, so I don't know if there's another term for this. The racers proceed, and the cover instead goes down, pulling dastardly into the drink. Yep. Oh, and <laughs> which, of course, he says, Muttley, give me a line, and Muttley just drops a string. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a line the length of a drinking straw. Q laugh. <laughs> oh, uh, earlier thing that I forgot to mention is one of the gags earlier, uh, the Army Surplus Special also shot corks into uh, the back of Peter Perfect's uh, car, uh, blocking his engine, causing his car to explode right off the right from the start of the episode. Doesn't even get that far for it. Yep. Drink. I, I will say that I, I feel that in this episode, one thing I feel in this episode is it keeps the characters all... This is one of the episodes where I don't, I don't know who animated what, but the characters feel like they stay a lot more on model in this episode than some of the others. Very true. In fact, this is some of the better animation in the series. We'll we'll get into one of the best instances of that in a little bit. Let's see. But the anthill mob, meanwhile, attempt a carjacking. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> But then actual vehicle jack lifting the converter car off the ground. As they pass him with Clyde literally waving goodbye as they pass him up. And then uh, Penelope's pit stop goes out to lunch because seemingly Peter Perfect can fix his car really fast. 
I guess he's used to it falling apart. Or maybe he's just such a slipshod mechanic, that's why it keeps falling apart. Uh, he He's impressive regardless. <laughs> yeah. But Penelope's having a lunch break atop the Turbo Terrific, and she has a deep-dish chuckleberry pie, which flies out of her hands and into the face of a very satisfied Lazy Luke. Who literally, before being hit, said, I could really use a deep-dish chuckleberry pie. Is chuckleberry even a real thing? I don't know. But, uh, apparently, the oh-so-merry Huckleberry is quite Chuckleberry. <laughs> Chuckleberry is a real thing. Oh, huh. It's a cross between a red currant, a gooseberry, and a jostaberry. Well, now, that's something to chuckle over. <laughs> the, chuckle <laughs> <laughs> the Chuckleberry is a new and very exciting addition to our fruit family bred at Chuss Welsh in Norfolk. Interesting see but uh yeah uh and, and yeah lazy luke is gets hit by the pie and is so half awake that he's like <laughs> despite being able to grab the pan still like wow it's i want it so bad it's like i can taste it here <laughs> here blubber you can lick the pan <laughs> and poor Bob blubber bear just breaks the fourth wall looks at the audience in confusion so we got some more antics with with the various racers, most notably the anthill mob, and dastardly wants to scare them off with the threat of police interference. By Because dastardly, in all of his intelligent moments, decides to carjack a freaking police car! Now, I don't... I have to ask, what is dumber? The fact that dastardly thought it was a good idea to steal a police car of all things? Or the fact that the policeman that owns that car left his keys in it. Admittedly, Dastardly could have hotwired it, but I don't think we even see such act. No, he just literally goes into it and drives it. So I, I, I think yeah, I'm the keys have got to be in there. You're right. But yeah, after scaring the anthill mob who decide to hide in a in a baseball stadium as, and dress themselves as little leaguers, a Policeman whistles to stop Dick Dastardly, and you know he looks about as much like a generic Hanna Barbera cop as you can possibly get. Yeah, any any more generic, and you'd have Officer Dibble. <laughs> yeah, Dastardly, of course, tries to escape by running into the same baseball stadium and dressing himself as an actual like baseball player as well. Did you see some sneaky shifting guy with his dog run into here? Who you calling sneaky? I mean, no, sir, not at all. <laughs> and while under the watchful eye of the law, Dastardly decides to indulge his sneaky side by attempting to beat the anthill mob by cheating at baseball. With a lot of clever gags, like a literal still ball... And a ball that blow explodes into other balls. Hey, I remember that power up from uh, baseball simulator one thousand on uh, the Nets. Naturally. Now, upon seeing this, Rufus Roughcut and the Slag Brothers decide they can't abide the bullying of the little guys and decide to even the odds. Still, more sight gags will ensue, including uh, Rufus using a literal like tree for a bat. <laughs> 
Now, I really want to mention the animation at this point, because when we see Clyde and Dingaling and even Dick Dastardly shake and wobble with the effects of some of the stuff they go through, that is some smooth-looking stuff, especially for Hanna-Barbera. Well, we know where the budget for this episode went. Probably. Eventually, it gets to the point where Dastardly has to... uh be at bat, which Rufus uses his saw blade ball or pitch that literally makes the ball into a saw blade. But to Dick Dastardly's credit, he actually does, despite his bat being sawed in half, manages to hit it hard enough that he can get to first base. Or he would if there wasn't a cop standing there. Right. And and that's where the, the baseball game is basically called. With Dastardly running, saying, Motley, help! Sounds less like disastrously. It almost sounded like I went into Starscream. <laughs> so back at the race, Dastardly takes another shortcut to try one last trick, dressing Muttley up as a crawling baby, wandering onto the road so that he can use a blimp to float the racers up with a bridge. See, um, Before we go further into this, there is one gag that they did with between the baseball segment with uh, the Slag Brothers uh, that I thought was kind of cool. where oh, uh, right, the storm cloud. Yeah, the gruesome send a storm cloud, storm cloud out to that destroys their car with a like bolt of lightning. So the Slag Brothers instead grab the grab the cloud, get into the cloud, and beat it into submission to be their new vehicle. <laughs> Unfortunately, by the time we get to the baseball stadium, they're back in the Boulder Mobile continuity be darned on this show anyways dastardly's plan is to detour use muttley to as a baby to detour all the racers onto this bridge that he is going to release into the air with some sort of zeppelin attached to it yep the only person he manages to catch with this gag is himself as he gets stuck in he the, the uh, weight that gets dropped thrusts him in the air, gets him stuck in the bridge, and it flies far, far into the sky, much to <laughs> Muttley's amusement. After Pat Pending clears out a rock slide with an eight rock in the corner pocket, the Army Surplus Special tries the gum gag again, while Pat Pending has returned to seven league boot power. And this time the gum works, getting Professor Pat Pending's boots all stuck on the road. See, I forgot what Pat Pending's comment to it. He was like, I've heard about something, but bubblegum? Which, by the way, I don't know if that counts as a checkoff gun or just a a callback, but that's actually a pretty good way of doing it. Having him use that trick at the start of the episode and it fails, only to use it again and have it work. On the same guy, no less. Well, may not be Chekhov's gun, but it is Chekhov's gum. (laughs) Ha! Nice. (laughs) But this gives the Army Surplus Special the means to win the race, while we watch Dastardly continuing to float up, up, and away. Again, much to Muttley. (laughs) Yelling for Muttley's help, which Muttley just replies with his usual snickering laugh. Naturally. We're going to pause for a commercial break right here. After these messages, we'll be right back. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, 
here he comes, here comes Speed Racer, and so on. Japanese pop culture infiltrates Saturday morning TV in the 1960s with one of the most stylish shows of the era. But how does this very early dub of an anime property hold up? And what got changed in translation? We'll be revving up the Mach 5 in two weeks as we head to the finish line. As soon as we clear out the stowaway kids and monkeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of funny we're going from one iconic 60s racing show to another. <laughs> you know, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, you're right. So up next is, is one of your favorites, the Super yes. Silly Swamp Sprint. I love this episode. It has a lot of good dastardly moments in it, as uh, dastardly spends a lot of this episode in the lead. Yes. So from Sappy Soda Springs to Squishy Squash City, I think, is this race's route, and the racers are on Crock Creek Causeway. Alliteration to the max, baby! To which their entrance to the swamp is blocked by a toll. Yeah, a robotic toll man who just asks for a mere ten cents. And Dastardly is so cheap, he just paddles along the along the river to avoid paying it. Which uh works against him as his as the uh, air ma- the air raft they're using on gets uh bitten by a croc and causes it to explode with the car sinking with uh, Dastardly and Mutley on the uh pointy end of the mean machine. Mm. <laughs> now what was in that inflatable raft that caused that to blow up more drastically than the ga- than the gas tank did in our first race? Maybe overinflated it? Could no, be. I I will mention the ro- robotic uh, toll bo- booth uh, guy is uh, pretty advanced for the what, 1960s? Yeah. <laughs> this is something you'd expect to see in the Jetsons. Let's see. Pat Pending gets through the toll by paying. So does Rufus Roughcut. But the uh, Ant Hill mob tries to get through. But uh, how do you say their fare was cut in half? Or yeah. their car, anyways. Yeah, the toll banister manages to slice their car down the middle. See, that's what you get for trying to skip out on your tolls, people. Yeah. And meanwhile, Peter Perfect decides to give D- Dick Dastardly a hand, and he channels Mr. Fantastic w- with his lengthy reach into the swamp and then launches Dastardly, Muttley, and the Mean Machine out of the swamp, catapulting off a tree, and then into first place. First place! <laughs> Which I, I like that scene. It's like, he's like, Motley, start the car. And it starts going further down. He's like, no, no, in reverse. <laughs> and it shoots the car out of the hole and forward. Which, considering where those jets are, I don't see how that would work. But, hey, what do I know? First so, place! <laughs> yes. I, I, like, I, I like the animation on that scene, though. Because, like, when it's like the announcer's like, Sending Dick Dastardly into, and he Dick Dastardly just comes out of the back end of the the uh, the mean machine, the, uh, the mean machine, just to say first place. Also, holy crap, Peter Perfect is strong as f. <laughs> no kidding. So back at the race, as we watch some of the racers deal with a narrow pathway with some unique ways that I'm that are so funnily done. I'm surprised they didn't recycle these animation cycles for other episodes. There's a lot of good gags in this one. Right. 
and 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 it's so effective. Dastardly is complaining. Just look at what they're making me do. I don't want to cheat, but oh, here we go. <laughs> I love this scene so much because yeah, Dastardly is just like. It's those wacky racers that try to that force me to be a bad guy. It's like, look what they're making me do. These this robotic squad of mos- robotic mosquitoes. I don't want to do it, but <laughs> get them, you mindless meanies! I love that scene so much. I know you said it, but I had to say it again because, like I it's said, fine. it's fine. I love I love that scene. Yeah, and these must and these mechanical mosquitoes are very effective. All it takes is one to puncture the Arkansas Chugabug's oven slash engine. Fortunately, some of the enemy, some of the uh, cars are able to fight back, such as uh, such as Pat Pending using a baseball bat to shoot them back. Right, and I believe uh, one of them uses one of the racers uses a fly swatter. Yep. Or was it Pat Pending that used the fly swatter? I think so. But meanwhile, the red... Watch it, Red Max! Those mosquitoes are on your tail! What tail? (laughs) By the way, yeah, it was Pat Pending using the fly swatter. The the ones using the bat or club was uh, the uh, Slag Brothers. Naturally. (laughs) But yeah, what tail? And then it's like, hey, how'd you get that fixed so fast? I went to a retail store. Get it? Retail? Sometimes I don't know whether to be proud or depressed at these puns. But considering I've made a Chekhov's gum pun, I have no room to talk. Unfortunately for Dick Dastardly and Muttley, some of these mosquitoes go back to them, going right through the jet engines and poking them in the car. Yeah, and, and poking them in the car and back out of the car. And now we find out how fast Dastardly and Muttley can run. Which seemingly keeps them in the lead. <laughs> Though I, I got a, I got questions about the mean machine, considering that I I guess the glass was not on their car at that point, considering they literally jumped out of it. No kidding. But again, continuity be darned. Not, let nothing get in the way of the gag. <laughs> so after the commercial break point, we go from Crocs to Gators. Much to Blubber's dismay. <laughs> As Dick Dastardly has dressed up as an alligator to try and scare the wacky racers. And, well, it worked on Luke and Blubber Bear. Yeah, but it's the least convincing alligator act I've ever seen. Go back! I am an alligator! Just in case you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Penelope, as is her uh, want, just isn't phased. She perfumes Dick into a coughing fit, following by him being gator-handled by Peter Perfect. Uh, It's a good thing that uh, Dastardly isn't a real gator, or else SPCA would be pretty upset. (laughs) Yep. Oh, Peter, you're a regular gas. I must be regular. I'm certainly not Ethel. (laughs) I I also noticed that Peter Perfect's voice sometimes... he doesn't quite go there, but there's some times where some of his line delivery reminds me of uh, oh, the commissioner from uh, George of the Jungle, which Dawes Butler also did. Right. I find myself reminded of uh, Dudley Do-Right and Tom Slick. Yes. Which I don't think is a coincidence. <laughs> ah, Tom Slick. That's one of the 
kind of underrated uh, Jay Ward cartoons. I actually enjoy that one. Yeah. There's no such thing as blank in racing. Very cool. <laughs> so all of this is puts Destiny Muttley in last place, and they need a shortcut. But Destiny's still in the gator suit, and he gets the attention of a female gator. He presumes Penelope's perfume lured her in. <laughs> the gator finds me irresistible. Slickly puts down the hood and, like, trots over there to get the uh, help of the female gator. Oh my gosh, Dick Dastardly is a scaly! Wow. Uh, Not that you and I have much room to talk, considering uh, the appearances of our uh, animated alter egos. Yeah. Now, as the the, uh, wacky racers get across a bottomless bog... Dick winds up in back in first place and decides enough of the ruse. He removes the mask, but it does nothing to change the female gator's mind as she grasps onto the mean machine and and starts sending them backwards past the other racers. Ah, uh, so close and yet so far. Yeah, and she continues to chase after them. Right. Yeah, at this point, Muttley has just abandoned Dick Dastardly for the Amorous Alligator. Meanwhile, Lazy Luke reels in a victory, quite literally, with a fishing rod. Like I said, I love how they do so many gags with him that it's just like the simplest uh, items or logic, and it just somehow works. And, well, let's not waste any time. Let's make a fast track to Hackensack. Well, I I do want to mention, before we get to that, just that the episode ends with the narrator asking Muttley where his master is, only for him to point and laugh, and you see Dastardly being chased by the girl gator, who continues to spout gibberish, and, and Dastardly's like, I know you find me irresistible. He's not even wearing the hood at this, the, the mask at this point, and she's still chasing after him. <laughs> it's like, I know you find me irresistible, but believe me, this will never work. <laughs> Oh, I was afraid you'd say that. <laughs> you knew I was going to jump in with that voice. <laughs> I wonder who did that gibberish. It doesn't sound like Messick's gibberish. I wonder if uh, I wonder if uh, if uh, Janet Waldo did that. Possibly. I mean, that that gator could have been anybody. Yeah, um, but it does sound a bit more feminine than most voice actors in this show. So, right. So, fast track to Hackensack. And we open with the lamest dastardly trick yet. A rocket that merely creates a red banner that says stop. Hey, to his credit, it worked. Too true. Allowing him to get ahead and ask them what are they expecting for the curtain to rise? (laughs) Also, crazy animation error here of of Penelope Pitstop's car being Penelope Pitstop and her car being minuscule compared to the Boulder Mobile. Oh, hmm. Because it looks like they meant for the size of her looks like if perspective wise they meant to have her behind the Boulder Mobile, but instead they put it in front, and she just looks tiny. Yeah. So the one gag I want to point out. Uh before we get to the main uh, subplot of this episode, is Pat Pending defying gravity by making his car a boat, Derek, with boat, 
and lifting his car over the creepy coop. And the Gruesomes try Dragon Power and wind up crashing into the Turbo Terrific, causing it to fall apart again. Drink! <laughs> also, want to point an earlier gag uh, where Penelope Pitstop's umbrella breaks off of her car, landing on the uh, the gravel... Uh, Slag Brothers. Slag Brothers, thank you. The Slag Brothers causing them to drive up a hill and land on top of the Army Surplus Special, to which Sarge tells them that they... <laughs> that these recruits need the shave. <laughs> Naturally. I do have to say, I like how Peter's like always sad whenever the car blows up, but he's always kind of responds in kind of like the most polite way possible. Just like, oh, fiddlesticks. Oh, fooey. <laughs> so as they approach the small town of Law and Order, Dick actually has a reasonably clever idea in terms of simplicity and resulting effectiveness. He changes a 35 mile per hour sign to 85 miles per hour just by filling in the gaps in front of the three. And then he proceeds to rat on the racers to the sheriff. Which causes the sheriff to take the anthill mob into custody. And as he's doing so, the sheriff pronounces city slickers in a way I can't believe got past the censors. <laughs> and people call us potty mouths. Now, Dingaling decides, no worry, Clyde, I got this all under control. And he offers the sheriff a cigar, which bumps up the charges from speeding to bribery. Don't. Yep, this lands the anthill mob in the Hoosgow, where they spend most of the race. And you know this is the 60s because he's offering him a cigar in the first place. That would be very looked down upon modern times. No kidding. <laughs> so while Dastardly blames Muttley for the speed limit gag not eliminating all the racers, Clyde is chastising Dingaling for landing them in jail. You know, a thing like this can give a guy a bad image! <laughs> Which is funny considering, like, the first episode they get chased down by a cop because there's the notorious anthill mob to yeah. <laughs> so an attempt in the first attempt to escape the mob make a human ladder and dingling tries a rasp to file away the bars the sheriff spooks clyde and he leaves dingling to fall on the sheriff oh. yeah Which, that that cell like changes size drastically from scene to scene yep again continuity be darned never get in the way of the gag or uh the budget that Joe Barbera gives you. True. So, while the Anthill mob continues their escape efforts, Dastardly unleashes Operation Little Red Wagon. It's a literal little red wagon with a giant bomb. The two targets, the Buzzmobile and the Arkansas Chugabug, drive better in reverse than I do going forward. <laughs> Seriously, they're on a cliff, turning on a sharp corner, and they do it flawlessly no wonder these guys are, are such good racers and it's especially impressive for lazy luke <laughs> well i guess that he saved all of his effort for when it's needed mm. also nice like old school cartoony bomb yeah yeah good old-fashioned black bomb that would make dick dastardly cry, cry a manly tear of respect I mean, Boris, I'm not dastardly. Boris Badenov. Yes, Boris Badenov would shed a tear for that. I've always wondered what interactions Dick and Boris would have. 
I don't know. A lot of people, weirdly, a lot of people seem to get uh, snipe. Uh, what's a uh, whiplash uh, from from a uh, deadly do right? Right. Yeah. They get him mixed up with uh, Dick Dash. I right. think a lot of people get him mixed up. Snidely Whiplash get him yeah. mixed up with Dick Dashley. Yeah, there's a whole TV trope page named after it. Dastardly Whiplash. Anyhow, our bomb winds up falling off a ledge and and blows up the mean machine upon landing, leaving Dastardly emerging from a tunnel in the wagon. It's moments like this that make me wonder if cheating really pays! And, well, yeah. And speaking of explosives, back with the anthill mob, now Dingling wants to use dynamite to escape. It's at this point I, I find myself thinking Clyde has a death wish keeping this nut around. <laughs> well, maybe he, he works cheap. Uh, now, somehow this dynamite gambit doesn't kill them, and the sheriff catches them in the act of escape. Clyde finally apolog- uh, explains in the midst of an apology to a law officer that they were just trying to get back to the wacky race. It turns out the sheriff is a big fan and gives them a police escort. Which pretty much gets them caught up with everybody else after, you know, being so far back. Right. See, also Dastardly does a pretty good uh, gag of shoot, <laughs> which, by the way, funniest contraption on the mean machine a literal like just catapult that throws a normal sized rock <laughs> throws it through the uh through the uh windshield i mean not the windshield the window in the creepy coop hitting the slag brothers causing the slag brothers to think that the creepy coop threw a rock at them causing them to fight letting dastardly get ahead of them yeah it's only after dastardly goes by they realize they've been tricked well, it doesn't help that Dashley kind of, get, in his w- need to gloat, kind of uh, pretty much lets him know. Yeah. But as the anthill mob, with their police escort, Ket closes in on the finish line, Dashley and Muttley open fire with a cannon on the sheriff. Not the smartest move. No. This earns them jail time like nobody's business. Also, this cop is strong as hell because he, like, pretty much throws an anchor, snags it on the mean machine, and holds it back, preventing them from going. Yeah, the anthill mob are your victors in this race. I, I like I like the animation that Dick Dashley, whenever he realizes he can't move anymore, just kind of gives up and, like, folds his arms and waits for whatever's happening. He's gotten that, like... John Rasafi at this point. <laughs> so by now you kind of get the gist of a Wacky Races episode. You know, Dastardly tries plan A, fails, racer hijinks, Dastardly tries plan B, which takes up a good, a better chunk of the episode, but it inevitably fails. More racer hijinks, Dastardly tries plan C, which also fails. End of race. But the formula works! Really well, and and you always will get Muttley laughing at either mostly Dick's expense, but sometimes Eraser's expense. And hey, when you least expect it, sometimes Dastardly's traps actually work. Yeah. Now, I think it was this most this episode we last we last discussed, Fast Track to Hackensack, that convinced Hanna Barbera that there was something in the Ant Hill mob 
that would merit them appearing in one of the spin-off shows of this series, both of which appeared the following year in 1969. And they moved from being a, a mob of criminals to actual heroes. Yes, in the perils of Penelope Pitstop, they're effectively Penelope's guardians. They play the heroes, always saving her. Well, trying to save her might be a better word for it, as some of their attempts to save her tend to backfire and cause the problem to be worse. And half the time, Penelope manages just to save herself, which is a nice little reversal of the sexist expectations of 60s cartoons. I I will say, if there's anything I like about Perils of Penelope Pitstop, other than the fact that, uh, other than the fact that, oh God. I, Paul I, Lind is the pa- villain? Yeah, other than Paul Lind's the villain. Of course he's the villain. Um, <laughs> is, the, uh, is the fact that I love how, like, unfazed Penelope is of anything. It's like, she's like near death in so many scenes and just like, oh dear. (laughs) Oh my. I do declare. Now you know, but our audience might not, that before the anthill mob got that spot, apparently it might have been Dick Dastardly and Muttley as her protectors. That's the thing. I'm not sure what they were going to use Dick Dastardly and Muttley for, but they do appear in the model early model sheets for for uh, the perils of Penelope pit stop, but I've never heard what they were going to do with them. For all I know, they could have been, I don't know, henchmen for the hooded claw or something. True. But they're just, they're just there and they look weird. Cause they're in kind of like it. They're, they're drawn, not a little more realistic. Penelope looks more realistic in this show than she does in wacky races. And, it looks like they kind of did that with Dick Dastardly, but not quite to the extent that they did with Penelope. Hmm. But it, it's just weird. They're just there. They're just standing there. There's, And that's the weirdest part, though. It's just like, because uh, a long time ago, back when Cartoon Network was in its early levels, their old webpage used to have it to where there was just all these model sheets you could just look at. And... That, they're just there. They're just it's just this one picture of them standing and Muttley and uh Dick Ashley standing in the model sheets, but huh. that's it. It's a mystery. Well Hanna Barbera would decide that Dashley and Muttley would be better suited for another cartoon they were developing, which would become Dastardly and Muttley in their flying machines. Though many people accidentally <laughs> instead think of the show under its theme song. Stop that pigeon! Stop that pigeon! Etc. It, it's funny how, like, even I fell for that because as a kid, I thought that was the name of the show too, despite the fact it's clearly not. The title's obviously not. Well, it's but, a catchy song, so I can understand how you'd make the mistake. Muttley, you snickering, floppy-eared hound, when courage is needed, you're never around. Those medals you wear on your moth-eaten chest should be there for bungling, in which you are best. Yep, pretty much. But. Um, yeah, I actually know that whole song, but, (laughs) but it's worth mentioning that show is actually being developed as something completely unrelated, um, with like the main two, the characters that Dashley and Muttley play instead being this like kind of generic looking German-ish, like air ace looking kind of older guy and his dog that looks like generic Hanna-Barbera dog A. Mm. Um, 
it was it was neat because they showed those model sheets on like Cartoon Network's webpage back then too. Because if you look at the Dashley and Muttley one, they actually show the pre Dashley and Muttley characters in it. Okay, and it, yeah, it's it. I, I think changing them to Dashley and Muttley definitely gives it more personality because the, they weren't very interesting looking characters. But right. they decided Wacky Race is popular. Let's slap Dick Dashley and Muttley in this, and uh, now Dick Dashley and Muttley are enemy. <laughs> or now enemy uh, soldiers are flying aces off to stop an American carrier pigeon. <laughs> yeah, we'll discuss that at length when we do eventually cover that show, though we've got a lot of shows before that one <laughs> that we yeah. want to look at. I just want to say that I hope that's taking place during World War One and not World War Two. Based on the technology of the planes, it's almost certainly World War One. Most definitely, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Better anyway. the Kaiser than the alternative. Yes. So there would be numerous attempts at reviving Wacky Races over the ensuing years after the two spinoffs would come and go. That, at first, Dastardly and Muttley were slated to be in Scooby-Doo's Laugh Olympics, but those ownership rights Pembroke talked about at the beginning of the episode reared their ugly head, leading to the heroic character mumbly who is basically a blue muttley crossed with columbo turning evil and the creation of the dick dastardly xb the dread baron who in one laugh olympics cartoon is explained as dastardly's brother i mean not not the cartoon the comic uh, yeah comic which fits um yeah i got I, I, yeah and the mumbly cartoon literally came out a year before laugh olympics which is, uh, which I, for the first time, I've been looking for episodes of that for the longest time, finally found episodes. It's a interesting cartoon. I, I can sum it up as, you remember that first, uh, that first Droopy cartoon where Droopy's a Mountie and the wolf is a, like, criminal and the, and the crim and the wolf keeps trying to hide in different places, but Droopy just appears there? Yeah. That's this entire show. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it's a mumbly who literally looks just like Blue Muttley with a trench coat yeah. and has grown another finger as he actually has five fingers instead of the typical Hanna-Barbera four. Five fingers. Um, Ooh, freak show. <laughs> he's evolved beyond most Hanna-Barbera-like animal characters, seemingly. Um, but yeah, it, they resolve around him just miraculously uh, chasing whoever the criminal is in his beat-up like car and uh, every time, just mysteriously appearing, saying, "I'm taking, like, I'm taking you in." <laughs> so, or, yep, yep. Now, in the '80s, these uh, rights issues would get resolved, and Dastardly and Muttley would harass Yogi Bear for just about every Yogi Bear show in the '80s and '90s, aside from the revival of the short cartoon format of of Yogi's old uh, cartoon. Ep cartoons. It, it's worth mentioning, though, there, the XPs did get used once more in a made-for-TV movie called uh, Yogi Bear and the S Mystery of the Spruce Goose. Yes. Or Spirit of the Spruce Goose, I think. But uh, that had the Dread Baron and uh, and Mumbly appear again. However, interesting thing happened here. While in the Laugh Olympics, I think the Dread Baron is voiced by John Stevenson. Okay, um right. 
but in the uh, in the Spruce Goose uh, special or TV movie, he's voiced by Paul Winchell. Just to add that dastardly XP a bit more. No kidding. And speaking of uh, those made-for-TV movies, one of them was planned to be centered around the wacky race characters around the world with the wacky races, but that would get scrapped. Unfortunately, because I would have freaking loved that. Yeah, and we would have also loved a, a another re- attempted revival in the 2000s dubbed Wacky Races Forever, which would feature the children of Penelope Pitstop and Peter Perfect. Before we get to that, though, I just want to mention the other appearances of Dastardly and Muttley in the 80s real quick. Oh, sure. So, uh, first thing that happened was there's Yogi's Treasure Hunt, where they play the villains to Yogi and his crew who are trying to get whatever treasure that Top Cat tell, gives them a hint for. And uh, I know lot- we've discussed this before, but I wish that while they were reviving Dastardly and Muttley, they they would have put Penelope Pitstop with Yogi's crew. She would have been a perfect pilot for the arc. It would have, but I think they were kind of going with the gimmick from the old uh, Yogi's Gang show. Yeah. Um, where they were just all of Hanna-Barbera's like, animal characters shoved into this arc. Or, though it's no longer called the arc in this, it's called the... Uh, Jolly Roger, Jelly Roger, the Jelly Roger, because Jellystone Park. Um, yeah, the only human you ever see is Ranger Smith on, uh, well, I, on the on Yogi's side, the only human you see is Ranger Smith. Right, the only reoccurring good guy human. Yeah. Though, holy crud, I will, the, while they did reduce the number of characters on Yogi's side in comparison to Yogi's Gang, because Yogi's Gang literally had every character, <laughs> every animal character, uh, they reduced it probably in hopes to give everybody more personality or character moments, which I think that show actually does a pretty decent job of. But uh, they they do lots of cameo appearances of various characters. Like you even Ricochet get Undercover Rabbit. Elephant. Yeah, Undercover Elephant. Ricochet Rabbit appears. Uh, Hokey Wolf makes lots of appearances, hilariously as a judge and multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that show's actually weird. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the best description. The first season is kind of generic-ish. The second season gets weird. And then the third season gets downright satirical. Mm-hmm. To where like they start like addressing stuff in the episodes or how something will affect the censors or just even self-mockery. I think my favorite one of my favorite gags was uh, Top Cat is sending them to... Uh, Stop a bomb that is in the Tin Cantanic, huh? Mm. Um, to which uh, Daddy Doggy responds with, Well, that's no problem. We're used to bombs on this show. <laughs> or, no, most of the jokes on this. We're, we're used to bombs. We deal with most jokes. Most jokes in this show are bombs or something to that extent. Something to that effect. Let's see. Any other time I could say it exactly, but, but lots of satirical moments where they just mock the show or do lots of weird parodies. Cause there's an episode of that where Dick Dashley has his own country called Dicker Agua. Oh dear. And Yogi bear has his own con- continent and country called Brazil. And they do a war parody, a war movie parody for the whole episode complete with Yogi dressed as general Patton in front of a giant American flag. 
So, so what came next for Dastardly and Muttley? We got a kind of sort of wacky races revival in the wake rattle and roll show called uh, Fender Bender 500, which uh, has all of the Hanna-Barbera alumni characters in monster trucks. Uh, Yogi bears and uh, Boo Boo are in like a giant picnic basket. Uh, Top cat and uh, Choo Choo are in a car. Uh, Winsome witch and her, uh, her cat is in a car, which her cat Lucky, who has a crush on Top Cat, much to Top Cat's chagrin. And, of course, Dick Dastley and Muttley are in a giant monster truck version of their uh, mean machine. Which, to the credit of this show, Dick Dastley and Muttley do actually win a race in this show. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, there's an episode that takes place in Russia, which has a lot of gags that wouldn't fly today. <laughs> yeah. But... But the race is for the red square. Dastardly wins the race only for them to congratulate him by giving him a literal red square of paper. Oh. Even when he wins, he can't win. But that's also the gag in Fender Bender 500 is that like every prize is not something any of the winners tend to want. So... Well, it's still more dignified than the next time we'd see these two characters. Are you talking about Yo-Yogi? Oh, yes. Ah, uh, that's a show. Um, yeah, the less said, the better. In I, fact, I've... we could probably devote a, our discussion of that to when we actually have to talk about that show down the line. I will defend that show in just the fact that if you can get over how horribly late 80s these designs for the characters are it's a bad show but it's not as bad as people make it out to be so <laughs> it is definitely bad though but that has rob polson being a child version of dick dastardly oh referred to as dicky dastardly we should keep this thing moving we are we are running up on an hour and a half here all righty move forward to that pilot you mentioned wacky races forever which could also be referred to as Wacky Races the Next Generation. That's right. We've got uh, Parker Perfect and Penny Perfect? I think so. Who are uh, Peter Perfect and Penelope Pitstop's kids. Yep. And and Dastardly and Muttley are, are back, or presumably their, their own descendants. No, this is actually the original Dick Dastardly and Muttley in this. They are a little older looking because of this. Okay. But it is actually meant to be the original. Because some of them come back. You actually see the Slag Brothers and Pat Pending in that pilot. Yeah. Uh, with uh, also Penelope Pitstop and uh, Peter Perfect are now in charge of the wacky races. As they make a small uh, appearance through a holograph, mach holograph yeah. machine. Yeah. And the weird ideas are Peter Perfect's ideas, like a bridge made of snakes. That is a nightmare for me. Mm. Yeah, uh, and uh, in this, uh, Dastardly is voiced by Jim Cummings, who does a decent job. His Though the, the only problem I have with it is since I've heard Jim Cummings do so many roles, it's like I can hear like some Darkwing and Negaduck in the Dastardly voice he's using. But other than that, he does a pretty good dastardly. Yeah. And I think it's Scott Enos is the one doing Muttley for that pilot, which he also does a pretty good job. 
Now, we would finally get a full-fledged revival of the Wacky Races in 2017 on the Boomerang Network. Actually, pause. There is one other Yogi uh, interaction with uh, Dick Dastardly that we did not mention. Oh, really? The Universal Studios had a Hanna-Barbera video ride. Oh, yes, yes. The fantastic world of Hanna-Barbera. Yes, uh, it's one of those. Uh, I don't know if they even still have these today. Where uh, it's, it's like it's kind of a motion simulator ride, and the, and it the uh, the the engine for it still exists at Universal Studios. After it was after Hanna Barbera came and went, it would be uh, Nicktoons Blast. After those characters became irrelevant, save for SpongeBob himself, it was converted to a Despicable Me ride. But it's still the same engine, the, the same ride apparatus. I actually have on my computer the footage of the whole ride, but um, yeah, the the ride has uh, has Dick Dastardly and Muttley for whatever reason kidnapped Elroy Jetson, and are going through time and being chased by Yogi and Boo Boo in a ship that is seemingly the audience is also riding um, for the 3D effect, and um, Dastardly and Muttley go through times to where we get to see bedrock and appearance of fred and barney uh we get to see uh, them go to a spooky like mansion complete with shaggy and scooby making appearances and eventually ending up in the future where of course we get to see the jetsons as they reclaim their child and dastardly and muttley get taken this future jail (laughs) now the timing of this coincided with the release of the jetsons movie which is why Elroy is one of the featured characters. It's, this was, uh, you know, Universal had the distribution rights for the Jetsons movie, so they did. So they decided they'd tie things in with that. Let's see, uh, interesting thing. Um, not all the animation for this ride was outsourced to a variety of studios, which it's not that long. So I don't know why they had to use so many multiple studios, but seemingly. Uh, part of it, it was actually done by Don Blue Studios. Hmm. Well, yeah, I guess maybe they had to finish it fast. The animation in a lot of it looks surprisingly fluid, so it looks better than a lot of the output Hanna-Barbera was putting out in the time. Yeah. But also the characters, some of the characters look a little less on model because of that, too, so... Also, I think that may have been the last time Paul Winchell played uh, Dick Dashley, but I'm not sure. Back to uh, eventually, though. Yeah, in 2017, we get a real new Wacky Races show that lasted, I think, two seasons and appeared on Boomerang. And I think it's actually pretty good. Three seasons, although season three might have been abbreviated. Uh. According to Wikipedia, I just pulled it up. Uh, it says two seasons, but you know oh. Wikipedia has been wrong before. Yeah, well, either way, it it lasted long enough. That and Cartoon Network and Boomerang do have a habit of splitting up seasons to try to lengthen them. So, yeah, it's seventy eight episodes though, so that's a lot for two seasons. But they're also like short, so right, you know. right. They're roughly the length of one half of a of a original series wacky races episode um but i would say that this show's actually pretty good i will say that uh, i have one major issue with it but i still enjoy it but i'll probably save that for 
if we ever actually talk about this show. And I do plan on it, but later down the line, we've got a lot of other Hanna-Barbera ground we want to cover. Some of it really good, some of it not so much. If there is any credit I will give the Wacky Races reboot is they slimmed down the amount of racers, but they did that so that they could develop every one of their personality a lot more. And, and uh, it really shows. Yeah. And uh, and Dick Ashley is now British, which is interestingly works. Yeah. But they but they also explain that uh, through a couple of gags that he's actually possibly Dick Dastardly the third hmm. as his mom shows a picture of his dad. And it's literally like they literally just took the promotional art of Dick Dastardly and Muttley and stuck it from like wacky races and just stuck it in a frame. Right. But then they have an episode with his grandfather. That is the, is the Dick Dashley from uh, Dick Dashley Muttley and their flying machines. Okay. That way making explanation of how Dick Dashley could have been both in world war one and, you know, a sixties show at the same time. Naturally. Uh, Peter perfect gets a lot more development. Penelope Pitstop gets a lot more development. The Gruesome Twosome get a lot more development. Um, some characters get changed around, though. Like, Pat Pending is now replaced with IQ Ickley, which is a child, pretty much a child version of Pat Pending. Right. And the Anthill Mob gets replaced with a set of minuscule pirates as Captain Dash, Polly, Bugsy, Bluebeard, and Davy Bones. <laughs> Another racer we get is the is Penelope Pitstop's evil twin sister, Pandora Pitstop. And this is where some of Penelope's best gags come from. Also, we get some random guest stars, like from previous Hanna-Barbera cartoons, such as Huckleberry Hound, Snagglepuss, Hong Kong Fooey, Quick Draw McGraw, Touche Turtle, who actually is a racer, Ricochet <laughs> Rabbit, who also gets to be a racer, the Dalton Brothers, Scooby-Doo, many, many mockery Guest appearances of Scrappy Doo, oh, Mr. Jinx, Mr. Jinx the Cat, Top Cat, and Benny the Ball. Which, by the way, they show <laughs> there's this poster that they show like of worst char- cartoon characters, and they show Dick Dashley at the top with Scrappy Doo literally being right below him. Ooh. Which I was just like, ouch. That's. I'm not sure who's more insulted in this. I would say Dashley should be, but you know. Yeah. So after all this time, does Wacky Races still cross the finish line with flying colors? I say yes. I think the show, animation-wise, yeah, the animation's not the greatest, but I say this show aged really well. The gags are really funny, and it's just really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, the, this is a a charming wonderfully funny cartoon. I, I think it transcends its limited animation in, in the same way that Rocky and Bullwinkle did and a few other cartoons from the, from this era and before. And there's def the, the character designs are wonderfully memorable, even if their characterizations fall a little flat at places. And let's be honest. We all love that, that shaggy little dog. <laughs> Muttley's the best. Dastardly's the best. They're great. And how many shows do you get to see where the main characters are the villains? Well, Also, I want to mention one thing about that reboot real quick. Okay. Uh, Hong Kong Fooey is voiced by Phil Lamar, which is is awesome because it's not the first Scatman Crothers character that he has reprised the role of. Yeah, he did jazz. On uh, Transformers Animated. Yep. 
I'm doubly amused by Phil Lamar playing Hong Kong Fooey, not just because of the, you know, connection to Scatman Crothers, but because when he was doing jazz in uh, Transformers Animated, there was an interview that he had where uh, they asked him that, well, since you've reprised jazz, would that make you the perfect candidate for uh, Hong Kong Fooey if they ever brought him back, which he agreed to. So here we go. It happened. Yep. All right. I think we've definitely run out of, of our cereal this time. So I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. And we're off to the grocery store to restock. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I just remembered one thing. Oh. We, we didn't mention the pachinko machine. <laughs> <laughs> we Let's save that for our Hanna-Barbera oddities episode. Sounds like a fair point. Um, I did want to throw one last thing, though. Okay. Uh Wacky Races is hugely popular in Japan. I think it's one of the most popular American shows to ever be imported in Japan, because Japan freaking loves this show. It's also huge in England. Yes. But, uh, because there's, like, Japanese commercials with it, the the pachinko machine I briefly mentioned. But I also sometimes wonder if Dick Dastardly was the inspiration for the design for Waluigi. Could be. They've got a bit of similar, like, look to them, and lots of purple. Oh, yeah. All right. I just had to get that. It That's popped fine. in my head and I had to throw it out. <laughs> That's fine. I, I think right. pe- people want more podcasts anyway. All right. <laughs> Anyways, see y'all. So long. To the penny and change to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.